Bibles, turn them on or open them up. We're going to look into the Word of God. Hello, balcony friends. How are you guys doing? Great. Oh, there they are. They're all waving. Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought they were all coming to Christ right now. There was a thousand hands up there. <laughs> Great to have you all here. Those listening uh, and watching us later, our missionaries, many of our missionaries from 40 countries of the world follow our messages and learn from them. So we greet you and those who are traveling who are sinning by not being here today. Uh, <laughs> As they, as they look at our messages later, Lord bless that as well. Okay, uh, today we're continuing in our series on the promises of God. And we chose a, a word for today that I didn't like when we chose it. We said we're going to talk about God who is a God of perseverance. And I said, that doesn't work. You only chose it because we're trying to make them all start with P. We persevere, God doesn't. But as I told you in communion, I was wrong. As the slide will say, this is our promise that God gives us of God's persevering love and faithfulness. The promise of God is his persevering love and his faithfulness. Okay, perseverance. I'm gonna ask you all to open up your memory banks. Try to remember a time when you really had to persevere through something. You really had to endure. Okay, find it, find it. All right, how many of you have got something in your life? You say, Lon, it's not done, I'm still having to persevere in this thing. Okay, good, hold on to that. Because I'm going to try to tell you that's what God is doing as, as well. Now, what, the one I chose is, you, some of you have heard me talk about this over the years, uh, it's that first marathon I did. And when you're running and you're running and you're running and, you, and, and around mile 17 to 20-ish, you hit this thing called the wall. And the wall means that physically you're totally depleted. Your whole body is saying, this was the stupidest thing you've ever done. <laughs> and now your emotions feel it the same way. And, and I remember in my first marathon, I felt it, and as I looked around, there were fellow runners dying everywhere. <laughs> and yet we just had to keep going. And being someone of great spiritual uh, strength and fortitude, I pulled forth a great song to help me get through the wall. Because that's what you call it, hitting the wall. And it was this. I've been working on the railroad. <laughs> Oh, because it, it did well for the pace that I was running there. See, that's another thing. In the marathon, all the blood has left your head trying to keep your body surviving, and so you don't even think rationally. But the wall and people pulling out and just sitting down and the, the, the lights of emergency help vehicles, and they go, I didn't know, I didn't. Yeah, I know, you did. All right, now, question. Does God ever hit the wall with us? I love the child just goes, no. She should come up and finish this sermon. That was just great. That's great, honey. No, he never hits the wall with us. But we would sure wonder if he does. We hit the wall with God, though. And our passage today helps us to know what to do when we've hit the wall. And we find out that waiting on the other side is a persevering God. 
okay? So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Lamentations. Lamentations chapter three, starting in verse 17. We're gonna put it on the screens for you as well if you don't have a Bible to turn on or open up. All right, this is the prophet Jeremiah. Now just before I read, follow me here for a second, everybody. This is not a pleasant time for Jeremiah. He's sitting in the rubble and the ruins of Jerusalem that God has just allowed to be totally obliterated by the Babylonian Empire. All his life he had been pleading with the people of God to turn away from their idols, turn away from false religion and come back to him. And and Jeremiah kept giving them the words of God and that God says, if you don't do this, the consequences are gonna be supreme. And boy, they were. We believe that he wrote Lamentations after the collapse of the great city of Jerusalem. Hundreds, thousands have been killed. Cannibalism has taken place. It is chaos, it is crisis, and he's in deep depression. Incidentally, if there are any of us here, and there are, who struggle with depression, you are in fine company with God's leaders. Jeremiah suffered depression. King David suffered depression. There were others. But imagine him sitting in the rubbles and the ruins, perhaps, and now writing this, starting verse 17. I have been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor's gone. All that I'd hoped from the Lord, it's all gone. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. That's him saying, I am so depressed. Look what happens next, verse 21. Yet, this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait and to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The reading of the holy text. Thank you, Father. Now, um, promises of God. Look at the first half of that text. Keep it open the whole sermon because I'm gonna be using it the whole sermon. But if you look at verses 17 through 20, you see Jeremiah living in the reality of what he can see and hear and taste and touch and feel. Jerusalem is destroyed. Judah is obliterated. Everything is gone. Verse 21 is a magnificent switch in him from deep depression at the reality he is facing and suddenly he says, yet, this I recall to mind and therefore I've got hope. The way I'm feeling this, 
as, as I'm even giving it to you, everybody, is that sense of turning from being a problem-driven person to a promise-driven person. What he sees tells him that obliteration is everywhere. What he believes is God is not done yet. I, I started talking about this last week. As Christians, you're called to live in two worlds, the world of see, taste, touch, smell, and hear. And at the same time, to live in spiritual realities that is actually more real than what we can see. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. And then he says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He holds out for the great love and the faithfulness of God to be true. Promises. Problems, promises of God. When you learn to switch those, you can face anything. And that's what he's doing right in front of our eyes, everybody. He's switching it. Promises, promises, the promises of God. I don't know if you saw this verse. I don't know if Rob or Hannibal used it in the first two weeks. If they did, you need to see it again. If they didn't, you really need to see it. It comes from Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. This is Joshua, the great leader who's about to pass on. And he says this, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises of the Lord, your God, though it gave you has failed. Sorry about that. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Now, how many promises are there in the Bible? Somewhere between 3,000 and 8,000, depending on how you interpret the words, and most of them are for us today as much as they were for others in the past. Look at this next text from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, which means the so be it, is spoken by us to the glory of God. For no matter how many promises, and if we were with Paul, we would say, well, there's somewhere between 3,000 and 8,000 that we can't always be sure of how we interpret all of those. And of course, Paul, some of them were written after you died. Uh, no big deal. We just wanted to correct and give you some numbers. Every promise is yes. Why? Guaranteed, stamp approved because of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The promises of God. Now, uh, I promise to give you just a little update on my own situation. Uh, the first day of December, actually the November 30th, uh, I was informed that I have a, a large, large uh, cancer. Uh, it's consuming my liver and that the kind of cancer it is 
the, the mortality rate, if you draw a bell curve, I should do it this way so you follow me. If you draw a bell curve, is that 50% who get this disease die within one year, regardless of, of therapies. The other 50% don't. They go two, three, four, five years, and 6% live beyond five years. All right, first of all, we were with a new oncologist three weeks ago and she drew the bell curve. And she says, your health and how you've responded to chemo and your strength and vitality, you're clearly not on this side. So I get to be with you at Christmas. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah. Yeah, so where it goes after that, okay. So, but here's, here's where I wanna go. We did this whole chemo regimen for five months and, and it was the toughest and the strongest chemo they could throw into my body. And it literally didn't affect those tumors at all. Now, they didn't grow, but boy, they sure didn't shrink. So now, we're having to redo everything. We see, well, well what do we go after next? Oh, incidentally, you say, well, we've been praying for you, Lon. You're gonna be healed. I know I'm gonna be healed. It's just where and when, okay? I got that, all right. So, but, but my strength and my energies through this, they're all mystified that, that I had hardly any side effects from the chemo. I mean, you've seen me. You keep, you keep being surprised I'm alive. <laughs> and this is me. And I am nearly as strong as I was before I got it, et cetera, et cetera. But, so now we have to move into radiation spheres. And I'm gonna get this thing called glass bead intentional radiation, which they go up through my body and go right to the big cancer. And and they literally smash it inside out with a million little glass beads of radiation that we hope will kill it. All right, now here's the point. Marie and I, We've been with so many doctors and such, and now once again, new doctors, completely new kind of therapy, and truth be told, I do not like going downtown to Northwestern University Hospital. I don't know who made downtown Chicago, but it was a mistake. (laughs) When it comes to trying to get there, I love it when I'm there, but trying to get there, holy guacamole bars, okay. And so I'm making a kind of a laughter thing out of it. But the truth is, it it, kind of just really threw us emotionally. I mean, we're glad that there may be a next thing to try, but it threw us emotionally. So what I did, uh, and it was last week, I said, honey, because Marie was in the same spot, and we open uh, my Bible, and I have it marked at all times, and it's a promise from Scripture, and I'm gonna read it to you now, because you've got it on your screen. This is what we have clung to for six months. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. When you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I read that, we were standing in the kitchen and I read it, I said, honey, by faith, we claim that these new doctors, these new therapies, this new place are the teachers you're revealing at this time. By faith, we claim it and we will walk in it. Now, 
Forgive me, friends, that was too long of a personal illustration, but I'm just showing you what happens when you move from problem-drivenness to promise-drivenness. It brings you back to reality. It brings you back to truth where God is. And that's what's going on for Jeremiah. Now, he says, look at verse 22 again. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. The first attribute promised to us in the NIV is called great love. A great love is promised to us. It's also in the ESV, English Standard Version, it's the word steadfast love. I like that better. Because that's what we're getting at here. Everything's crumbling around Jeremiah, and he says, but because of the steadfast, ancient Hebrew word is called hesed. And in fact, when Martin Luther was translating the New Testament, he didn't know what to do with these certain words, and he called it grace. He called hesed from the Old Testament grace, just as he called love in the New Testament grace, charis, the great grace. An absolute, if you want some uh, descriptors of it, this is how I define the steadfast or great love of God. It's extravagant, it's greater than your wildest expectations. Number two, it's unfailing. It never fails, God's love. It never leaves you. It's extravagant, it's unfailing, And here's the third thing, you can never earn it. It's just given. That's the kind of love that we're talking about here. There's a great old hymn that's called, A Love That Will Not Let Us Go. God's love for you is a love that will not let you go. It's a love that will not let you go. It is extravagant, it is unfailing, and you can never earn it. It simply is. Wow. The Apostle Paul, in trying to make sense of it, gives us this from Romans chapter eight, 38 and 39. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or the earth below, indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that great? That's the love that will not let us go. That's the love that defies definition. In fact, when you really have trouble defining, taking a word and defining it, and you've gotta use a paragraph, it means because it's really spectacular. That's what it is. So there's a verse I was actually gonna show before this one. You gotta ponder this. Psalm 107, 43. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder. 
Ponder the loving deeds. Again, that's the hesed word. So it's the steadfast love, the loving kindness. Ponder it, ponder it, ponder it. That's exactly what Jeremiah is doing. When he starts verse 21, he says, yet, this I recall to mind. Recall one of your greatest benefits from being a human being. You can recall the sufficiency of God in the darkest times of your life, how he's brought you through. You recall, ponder it, ponder it, ponder it. It is true even when you can't see it. Now that is it all on this whole thing of of the extravagant love of God as verse 22 goes on to say, because of his great love we're not consumed for his compassions never fail. Now incidentally, everybody, that's kind of a second notion about this great love of God. It's not only guaranteed, it's, I keep doing this, it's not only strong, boundless, extravagant, unstoppable, it's not only that, it's full of compassion. Uh, this word is translated, I'm told, by those smarter than me in their Hebrew knowledge. It, it, it's a word that means mother love. Have you ever seen mother love? Whoa. I'm married to someone who displayed incredible love for the children. <laughs> the first time Courtney got hurt and we had to go to the emergency room, I, I was nearly fainting. Marie was right there. Doctor, 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 doctor. Come here. You're in, all right. She ran the show. It was mother love. We watch our daughter Courtney now with our grandchild. Holy guacamole bars. I mean, it's, it's mother love. You know? It's, it's, and, and when she runs out of steam, there's this grandmother love. The love of God, extravagant, unfailing, unearned, and full of compassion. Believe it, claim it, ponder it. Amen? All right, now, one more promise. And that takes us to verse 23. Verse 23 says this. Actually, it ends with the former thought. They are new every morning. God's love and compassions are new every morning. And then it says, I, I love this, the second part of 23. Great is your what? Faithfulness. See, extravagant, unfailing Undeserved love naturally leads to God's absolute faithfulness. Incidentally, all of the attributes that define God are perfect in fullness. Why? Because he's a holy God. All that he is is absolutely the best it can be. And so when you say, well, is he sometimes not faithful? No, he's never not faithful. Impossible for God to not be faithful to us. His love assures us of that. Some, some synonyms for faithfulness. Absolutely dependable. I like that one. True to his name. Man, I want to be seen as a man who's true to his name, meaning true to what I say. God, constantly, constantly reliable. <laughs> or as um, Sergio and I were talking this week about this passage, he says, look, he says, La. He's a wonderful um, Latino man. He goes, La. It's like God's love is chronic, 
for us. <laughs> His faithfulness is chronic. And I go, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a chronic faithfulness. It's like a cough you can't get rid of. God's faithfulness. Look at this verse, Psalm 89, eight. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You are mighty in your faithfulness uh, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You are mighty in your faithfulness, surrounds you. It, it totally encompasses his being. It's a love that will not let us go. He's faithful in fellowship with us. He's faithful even when we're tempted. That great passage, and I don't have it on the screen, so you may wanna write down this text and look at it later. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It, It talks about that whenever we are tempted, don't you worry about a thing when you're tempted. Where did that come from? When you're tempted, don't worry because God will, number one, give you everything you need to endure it and two, to escape it. (laughs) To endure and to escape, faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And of course, we see his faithfulness more than anywhere else in his rescue of us from the penalties of sin. When he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they've done. They've done awful things to him. But his faithfulness does not change. Remember that song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness? Those of you who know it, sing it with me. Kevin, you just went like this. So you, you, you can sing it louder. If he bothers you, just say, that's what church is like. Okay. Uh, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, now forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Again, great is thy faithfulness. One more time. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. See, that hymn was written about this text. Those of you who, who, yeah, isn't it great? Yeah. Those of you who weren't raised in Christianity with great hymnody, I just want you to know I wasn't either, but you just pick it up (laughs) because it's so meaningful and it's such great stuff. God's love and God's faithfulness, indisputable, promises for promise-driven people. 
Okay, now, how do we respond? 24 through 26, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So once again, what is our role? To remember how good we've got it, our portion. I I like that, look what it says. I say to myself, 24, the Lord is my portion. Two Saturday nights ago, we were in Southern California with family and we went over to uh, Sean and Valerie's house and he was cooking top of the line Costco steaks. How many of you have had top of the line Costco steaks? Eat your heart out, Ruth and Chris, okay? Because they're really good. Now, it, with my uh, disease thing, I'm on high protein, no sugars, and few carbs, but protein as much as possible. I began to worry that there wouldn't be enough steak for me. <laughs> I watched him cooking them. I helped him cook. I, I chose the biggest one because the Lord told me to. And then they came in, and, and I was afraid because they were all piled on top of one another. I was, I was sure one of the other despicable family members would take mine. <laughs> but they didn't, and it remained, and I grabbed it. It's a two-fork steak. You cannot lift that with one. You have to work out to lift that steak. <laughs> I have to eat a lot of protein. And you know what? I couldn't finish it. (laughs) Stupid illustration. The Lord is my portion, and he's always more than enough. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, the next thing he says there is, man, it's good to wait for the Lord. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to those who seek him. Verse 25, verse 26, again, it's good to wait quietly. Wait means to endure. To wait means to persevere, folks. It's right back with what we're saying about God. He's persevering in his love and his faithfulness. He will not quit on those things. And we are called to wait, to persevere, to endure until he comes. He's right here with us, but sometimes we don't see his actions. You gotta wait. You gotta wait. God is sometimes to us slow but he's never late. You gotta wait, because God won't be late. That's not in the notes, it's just good. You gotta wait, because God will not be late. That's what Jeremiah knew. And Jeremiah couldn't foresee it. But throughout the years following the absolute collapse and destruction of his nation, his nation would be rebuilt, and there would be some spiritual revivals but most importantly, the promise to King David, who existed even before Jeremiah, was that someday someone from his bloodline would make all wrong right. His name was Jesus Christ. God showed up. All right, what do we do with all this? I've imagined that there are three kinds of people here with me today. There, there might be more, but I, 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 
see if you can fit in one of these categories. First kind of person is somebody who's going through crisis right now. And you feel like you're, 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 you're sitting on ruins and rubble and you just cannot seem to find your way out and it's affecting you physically and it's affecting you emotionally. What I have to say to you is God may seem slow, but he's never late. We learned last week that his presence could be with us in the most dire of circumstances. Hold out, hold on, and claim his promises to endure what it is you're facing, those in crisis. Number two, some of you feel you're not worthy of his love. I talk about this incredible love, but you might be someone who's so afflicted by guilt because of sin patterns in your life, you can't believe that God could love you that way and be faithful to you. Or even worse, you're filled with shame. It's not a matter of one sin or another. You just don't feel that you're worth anything. That's what shame can do to people. For those plagued by guilt and shame, here's what I wanna say on the basis of these texts and the whole holy writ. And I gotta be harsh for a second. Quit calling God a liar. You don't feel worthy of being loved? Tough. You are anyway. And it's when you begin to grasp, and the Holy Spirit will help you with this, grasp that you are affectionately and completely loved by God regardless of how you see yourself, regardless of what you have done, that wholeness and healing begins to fill your soul. He is great love regardless of your inability to earn it. Third type of person. I don't know if there are many of you here, but uh, third type of person is somebody who kind of says, hey, this is cool. I'm loved no matter what, which means I can do no matter what and have a good time doing it. Uh, I have eternal life and love insurance, so I can do what I want. No, you can't. Oh, you can. You don't want to. The Bible's real clear. God will never not love you, but I'll tell you this. If you choose to walk against God's precepts and laws, they will come back to snap life right away from you. Bible's clear. You will sow what you reap. And those that live an unbridled life doing whatever they want and saying, well, God loves me anyway, you don't know what kind of danger you're in. You say, well, God, God is faithful. Yep, it says even when we are faithless, God is faithful. But he also says to the Apostle Paul, but if you deny him, he will deny you. So those of you living on the border of just it's all about me, I cry out that you would bend the knee toward Jesus Christ and make him your leader and Lord and vow to follow him if his Holy Spirit will come in you and give you the ability. Three types of people. Well, so friends, come to him if you haven't. Come back to him if you've fallen away and cling to him, those of you who know and just needed to be reminded today. Come to him, come back to him, or cling to him.
Today, we declare a declaration of dependence on the love and faithfulness of God. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, we commit to you every word that's been uttered and ask that you would make sense of them. And I ask for my friends, my brothers and sisters, that you give them the Holy Spirit that they may be able to be promise-driven, not problem-driven. Thank you, Christ's name, amen.